The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. So, hello, Uh, welcome back to the the Piercing Wizard podcast. Um, I am here with a very uh, gorgeous and brilliant body piercer, Lola Slider. Um, you've been back to work for a couple of weeks now and number one, you're doing a great job. And, uh, I've been seeing the pictures that you've been, uh, the ones you've been posting, but all the one, also the ones that you send me at the end of the day. And, um, you're a really good piercer and I, I would be, I would be kind of, I know when I did reopen, I was very nervous because it was like, well, shit, did I lose the magic, you know, and how, how, how rusty am I going to be? But, you know, seeing you get right back into it and you're cranking out awesome work and those, um, those vertical transverse lobes were really cool. I I've never even gotten to do a set and you did those perfectly. And I would imagine that those are probably the first vertical transverse lobes you've done in quite a while. In a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I know you had some ideas that you wanted to talk about and I think it's very topical. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to kind of frame the conversation, but I have, I have plenty of my thoughts that I'd also like to share on it. So what is, um, what is on your mind, but also, you know, you can remind the people where you're at and everything since you're back to work. I'll wait and see how the recording goes before I tell anyone where I am. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, so uh, basically, we we wanted to have, or I wanted to have, I suggest, this is all my, my fault and my doing, I suggested that we have a long overdue conversation about undermask services and undermask piercing. Uh, we're now, what, 15 months into the pandemic, something like that? 15, something like 16, that. I don't, some, something along those lines. And, um, you know, undermask piercing has been an incredibly loaded and taboo subject for almost that entire time until recently we've started seeing more and more piercers opening up to them again as vaccinations becoming more widespread and numbers are stabilizing and that kind of thing and it's interesting um, to see people posting about you know taking on this work again um, because I can still remember very clearly last year how um, uh, combative and divisive um, a subject it was. And a lot of people got incredibly upset and angry and emotional whenever the subject was brought up and discussed kind of earlier in the pandemic. And, you know, part of that would obviously be because people were going through a very traumatic experience and there wasn't as much information as there is now. And, um, you know, we were in a much different position. Um, But one of the reasons that I kind of felt more comfortable I think to bring up the topic with you is because where I'm located um, for almost the entirety of the pandemic not the entirety of the pandemic but almost the entirety of it under mask services have been illegal in Scotland specifically Um, there was a period of I think maybe about a month last autumn after the first lockdown but before legislation was brought into place that studios could self-determine what they would and wouldn't offer Um, but then new legislation was brought in last autumn um, that basically said all under mask services for any reason that wasn't essential so like you know facials cosmetic tattooing facial waxing you know body piercing all that kind of thing anything that required the removal of a mask for a non-essential reason was a violation of the coronavirus act and was a criminal act basically and that was exclusively in scotland so it wasn't spread throughout the rest of the uk um, and obviously was very different to the, the individual restrictions throughout the US and throughout Europe and other parts of the world. So because I haven't really been in the situation where uh, I've had to do very much decision making regarding under mask services for almost the entirety of the pandemic, really, I kind of felt a little bit more comfortable talking about those things because it's kind of not really been up to me. You know, the decision was taken out of my hands, so I didn't have to be put into that 
situation in quite the same way as a lot of other piercers to be like, well, are we doing them? Are we not doing them? Because, you know, like, it wasn't really my choice. So I kind of felt like I was you know, prepared to take that metaphorical bullet, you know, by having mm-hmm. the conversation with you on the podcast about it. Well, uh, I think it's really important that we start having these conversations because I've been been seeing lots of piercers um, in various online spaces uh, kind of, kind of almost skipping over the, um, the conversations with colleagues where they're like, Hey, you know, what's, what's our risk assessment on this? Like, you know, is this something that we can or, or should be doing, you know, number one, it's got to be legal. If your if your uh, health organization, your governing body says this is illegal, you can't you can't offer this here. Um, number one, like a professional follows the laws and regulations, so you're not offering those. But if that's not the case, if there isn't a rule explicitly forbidding it, um, I think it's important to have the conversation because it's the information is going to vary so much based on. Um, the city you're in, the state you're in, the, the country you're in, like geographically, the numbers are, are hugely different. So it's important to have those conversations so that people can understand how to create their own risk assessment. What are vaccination levels like in my area? What are positive cases like in my area? Um, you know, all, all these different things, you know, are there, are there different things I can do within the studio for ventilation, for PPE? All, the, all those conversations should be happening at least on a colleague level, not necessarily on a Facebook level, because I, I don't think that I've kind of given up on Facebook a little bit as a place where professionals can have professional conversations because everything gets so heated and so emotional and so personal so quickly that it's really difficult to have those kinds of conversations. But if you're, if you're in a space metaphorically or, or geographically where you're um, having those conversations within your shop, is this something we should be doing? Um, now that restrictions have been lifted, like there's a lot that goes into those decisions. And I've seen a lot of piercers starting to post like, Hey, under mask services are available. We're going to start booking them on this day. And, and I would just hope that they've had those same kinds of conversations and, and risk assessments. And they really thought about like, okay, it's legally permissible, but is this right for us as a shop? Is this right for me as a piercer? And I, I do want to kind of put out into the, the world, that it is time to start having those conversations on a professional level based on data, based on science. We have a lot more, like you said, we have so much more information now about transmission. Uh, we have so much more access to things like vaccinations, you know, d- depending on exactly where you are. Um, but I don't think it does anyone a service to not have those conversations at, at this point anyway. Yeah, um, I I personally feel that a lot of these conversations could have been given a little bit of space um, and just a bit of breathing room for discussion a whole lot earlier, to be honest. Um, Having a conversation doesn't mean taking action. It doesn't mean making a decision. It just means sharing information. Um, And there hasn't really been a lot of information sharing surrounding this subject because, unfortunately, I feel that there were a lot of voices that... um, were very aggressive in suppressing and for sharing of information on the subject. Um, There were certainly a lot of times that that I saw that somebody would ask a question about offering one of those services and how they could mitigate risk and how they could help keep themselves safe and their clients safe. And the answer was almost always don't do them. Um, You you shouldn't be doing them. You're Mm -hmm. wrong to do them. And that is definitely a viewpoint and there's definitely weight to that argument, but, All I kept thinking was that as people who are really invested in client safety and in our personal safety, um, I couldn't think of an example where health and safety was heightened or improved with the suppression of information. Um, You know, I, I couldn't think of another situation. And one of the examples that my mind kept going back to, um, were, uh, those organizations that help educate, Uh, young people on safe sex and and then I said to you you know imagine if there was an organization um, that just said yeah if you don't want to get an STD if you don't want to get pregnant then uh, you know just don't ever have sex and then you said yeah that's America that's the the American educational system (laughs) teaching abstinence only 
And yeah. yeah, the information really translates well into this conversation because in those, there are lots of studies that you can, that you can look up where in the, in the, the areas, the schools where they teach abstinence only, there is no reduction and there's actually an increase in STDs and teen pregnancies because people haven't been taught safe sex practices. So it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that you can relate it to this conversation about under mask piercing. And I, I want to be clear. I in no way think that the service that we offer is as important as like sexual health for young people or, or something as essential as that. I'm not saying that I'm just saying the rationale is exactly the same um, that withholding information um, on, on subjects that can help make people safer is never really the way to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, another recent example, um, Scotland, we, we've talked about this before, but last year Scotland was once again um, leading uh, of all of the countries in Europe in terms of drug deaths, preventable drug deaths specifically. Um, and it, it has had a lot, there's been a lot of negative uh, press and criticism about the Scottish government's handling of the drug epidemic because of their refusal to engage with um, drug charities that do outreach and that try and provide safe spaces and safe injection sites and that kind of thing because there is a complete lack of a willingness to help people potentially do the wrong thing in a safe way, which, um, you know, would obviously reduce drug deaths long-term. So again, very different in terms of essential care. I don't wanna make out that the subjects are interchangeable. They're not, um, right. what we use is cosmetic piercing. Yeah. But the rationale again is exactly the same. It's like saying, well, don't do the wrong thing. Um, you know, the answer to this is to not do it. That doesn't actually help improve anybody's health and safety in pretty much any scenario that I can think of. And if anybody sure. can think of an example where the complete withdrawal of information helped promote safety. I like, I would like to hear what it is, um, mm. but I can't think of any. So not necessarily to play a devil's advocate to it, but um, there will be people out there that will hear this conversation today in, in, you know, current, current world conditions. And they're going to say like, well, it's irresponsible to tell people that they could even potentially offer and under mask service safely. And we're not trying to say, we're, okay, we're not trying to make someone's decision for them. What we're trying to advocate is that the conversations still need to take place. Even if it's something where at the end of that conversation, you determine, okay, this isn't something we're going to be offering. But um, uh, lots of places have lifted their restrictions. Lots of shops are going back to under mask services. And if you're not having conversations about how to uh, reduce risk, to mitigate risk, to perform risk assessments, to determine proper levels of ventilation and PPE and, and just the practices of how you shepherd a client through that service, uh, that, that won't make anyone safer. Um, I, will, uh, I will stick with the people that were saying it's, it was irresponsible and unsafe to offer under mask piercings when it was illegal, yes, I, I would never advocate for someone making a determination to say like, well, the local health authority is wrong. I'm right. I'm going to break this law for, for profit. I'm, I'm specifically talking about the places that are not uh, restricted from offering them. I, I, I feel like I'm going to want to clarify that more than once, but um, think of how many studios were in areas that didn't have those restrictions and were just blindly offering the piercings because they, they weren't having conversations about risk management, um, risk assessment. Um, then there, I'm sure there were some shops that were, that were having conversations and they were saying, okay, well, maybe it's safe to offer um, this thing, but it's, it's still not safe to offer this thing. So we'll offer maybe one specific service, but maybe not all services. Maybe some studios were offering just nose piercings, but they were having, um, you know, mouth coverings. So all those conversations should, should get to a point where we can have them. Um, even if it's on like a, a, a peer to peer colleague to colleague kind of level, um, because that's how you share information about safety. Like no one's going to be safer by not talking about it. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> That, that's the point. I don't want to say that I'm for this or that I was particularly early stages in the pandemic. But my feeling is more that there were people that were 
either doing it anyway or that were going to do it anyway, who could have either kept themselves and their clients safer than they did um, or who could have potentially come to the decision, you know what, actually, I shouldn't be doing this if they had conducted a proper risk assessment. I think when you just tell people no or, you know, use shame tactics, I don't think that changes anyone's mind. But I think actually getting the, the conversation out there and going through a risk assessment and looking at all of the contributing factors that put you at more risk could potentially help convince somebody to not do something or to hold off or to wait till the situation changes. Um, and I, I also think that it's false when, when people make out that piercing is either safe or not safe. Um, all piercing comes with risk and our job as professionals is to mitigate that risk and keep it as minimal as possible by performing thorough risk assessments for all of the various services that we do um, and updating them depending on things that change in our environment and our situation like this. And that might mean not offering certain services, but you should still do the work. You should still go through the mental process to determine, well, why is it not safe? And what will have to change for it to be safe? Because that's also very important. A lot of places are offering this now. And you and I have both said to each other, because we have lots of private conversations together, obviously, like we talk, I don't know, probably eight hours a day, every day. Um, We've both said to each other, you know, people that are being incredibly negative and aggressive about offering these services right now, they'll be offering them before the pandemic ends. And we are at that point now where that is very much the case, which means that sure. something has changed, but places aren't necessarily being public and freely shipped freely sharing information about what's changed that's helped them make that decision. And I think that's really important. Like mm -hmm. that's the information that should be getting shared. Um, for example, in my location um, last year, before the law was brought into, you know, to take the decision away from me, one of the things I was looking at was the World Health Organization's definition for what merits a pandemic versus what merits a pandemic under control. And their definition at that time, I think, still maybe, but it could have changed since then, was that if a population's overall test results were less than 5% positive, sustained every day for a minimum period of two weeks, that that country or that geographic location could consider the pandemic to be under control. And over 5%, it would be out of control. So that was one of the things that I looked at that wasn't me just deciding it for myself, that was an organization that knows better than me making that decision. What merits a close contact? What really merits proper ventilation? What is that exactly? You know, those were the kind of things that I was looking at. And then obviously, you know, I, I never really had to go very far with that information because up until literally just a couple of days ago, all of those services were strictly prohibited. Um, but that, that's more the point that, that I, I kind of want to make is that people are making these decisions in the dark. And I don't think that that actually promotes health and safety. Does that make sense? No, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the real thought that jumps out at me uh, and you nailed it is that uh, the piercers who were on fire over the concept of under mass piercings mm -hmm. three months ago, I think three months from now, if it's not even already today, they're going to be offering nose piercings and septum piercings um, because this isn't going to be forever, uh, it, at least in the U.S. especially. Like I think we're, we're getting close to 70% of the adult population being vaccinated, uh, depending on the state anyway. Yeah. Um, so those are the things that should be part of the conversation is where is the line Right. of safety and and then what is the level of comfort you know there's legality there's safety and then there's comfort basically so yeah. you need to understand what those things are you need to understand okay how many cases based on the population what's the hospitalization like is there a, a health authority who has like you know a set a, a number you know above or below this number safe or not safe you know things like that um it, you as a professional, are you vaccinated? Is the rest of your staff, um, are you offering things based on clients' vaccination levels? You know, all those different things should be part of a safety conversation for you to determine, number one, your legality, number two, your safety, and then your comfort level doing these things. Right. 
And, and I think that what people also need to be aware of is that that is going to change from studio to studio. Right. So in, in my situation, I work alone. I live alone. The person most at risk of getting sick, to be honest, is me, um, you know, dealing with clients all day and everything, obviously with appropriate PPE. I just deal with clients one on one. So they're never encountering each other at any point. They're only encountering me. Um, obviously, I, I you've, you've been in my studio, so you have an idea of the layout and how that's been um, basically planned out to allow for a one-way system and to allow for optimum ventilation and maximum social distancing and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm also in a situation now where I'm, I'm still waiting to be vaccinated. I'm starting to feel like I'm going to be the last person on earth that actually gets invited over here in the UK for people that don't know, you have to wait your, your, your turn basically based on your age and your location and your health to be invited to go and have it done. Um, that's how it's kind of prioritized right now. So I'm still waiting, but I am able to, um, get, uh, free access to testing, um, uh, I can, I can, I, I was just the other day, uh, went to a walk-in site, they gave me seven weeks worth of um, lateral flow tests, which I can use twice a week, um, so that I can regularly test myself um, to make sure that, you know, I'm fit and healthy, because I don't want to be a risk to my clients either. Um, you know, so there, there are a lot of things that I'm doing that might be dramatically affected if I was working with other people, or if I was working with somebody who maybe wasn't able to get vaccinated because of underlying health conditions or um, somebody who, uh, you know, had a, a living situation where they were exposed to people um, with, with comprom compromised immune systems and that kind of thing, you know, so there are all those different factors that you can consider that might vary from studio to studio, from someone who's working alone to someone who's working with 10 people to someone who's working with, you know, people that work multiple jobs and, and have sure. children or care for the elderly. Like there are so many different things. So the, the point is there's not like a one answer. There's not just like a checklist we can all do. We all should be practicing doing risk assessments for our specific situation. And if the situation and the information that we have don't line up in a way that really screams safety, then you can at least honestly say to yourself, I'm making the right decision by not doing this. Or you can confidently say, I'm definitely, you know, I'm confident in the safety practices that we have. I don't think people are any more at risk here than they are in a supermarket or anywhere else. You know, those are the kind of things that you need to be going over for yourself, I think, and your staff based on your location. Yeah. Once you... Again, you know, once you get past the the legal rule and yeah. you get into the safety rule, that's where really that that risk assessment needs to be part of it. Um, if you're skipping over that, the science, the data, um, the the risk assessment part of that conversation, and you're just kind of like skipping straight into your comfort zone, mm -hmm. a lot of people, like you said, this was a this was a traumatic event for lots of us, and yeah. um, you and I have had these kind of conversations too is work stuff aside. Um, it's, it's anxiety inducing. It's kind of terrifying to just deal with the social aspects of what I'm, I'm hoping is the tail end of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, going from being in your home and sheltered and somewhere you feel safe and then stepping out of that into a public setting, you know, the first time you, have dinner in a restaurant that's indoors and not outdoor seating. The first time you go to a, a movie theater, the first time you go to the mall or, or, or something like that, you know, like it's going to feel really uncomfortable and awkward. And I think some piercers are still going to be in that personal comfort zone where like they just, they don't want to see someone's naked face. They don't want to see someone's naked nose or naked mouth because for the last year, that's been directly tied to like, oh God, I can see your mouth. I'm going to die. You know, like I, I'm, I'm saying that as a, as a, a joke to kind of lighten the, the conversation a little bit, but that's very true. I've had those same kinds of things where if I'm in the post office in line and somebody comes in and stands right behind me and they're not wearing a mask, I'm probably going to step out of line and leave the post office. So I get it. If, if, if it's in that comfort zone and like you do not feel comfortable, you don't have to offer this stuff. But if you 
if you take that anxiety, if you take that fear and you put that into a professional conversation to shut down someone else's risk assessment or the, the free flowing of, of data or safety information, or some of these people that I see talking online are asking genuine questions because they need help in developing their own risk assessment. And if you just shut down all those conversations because it's like, well, you can't offer this thing that I'm uncomfortable with because it's it's irresponsible. That that stops the free flowing of information, uh, and and that can be that can be harmful to people because, like you said, it's different throughout the entire world. And what's what's true in your city, what's true in your studio, what's true in your home, might not necessarily be true to someone else in a different situation. Yeah. So I mean, again, like I think that we're both trying to be pretty clear, neither of us is, is advocating for one thing or the other. And even our situations could be massively different because we're literally on other parts of the world. Um, so it's not that there is a right answer. I just think that the suppression of discussion and the suppression of conversation, I don't think that that's resulted in anybody becoming more safe. I think everyone that was gonna do it did it anyway, and maybe they did it with less information they would have had access to. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure that that is exactly the definition of safety, you know? Um, sure. But I just, I don't think that the subject is as black and white as it's always made out to be. Yeah. Um, and I hope that now that more places are publicly acknowledging that they're doing this work or that they're going back to this work, I hope that they'll also start to maybe, you know, share in within the community what it is that helped them make that decision and what were some of the factors that they considered because that could really help another studio or another piercer. But I have a feeling that most of them won't do that because they'll have seen what happened to anyone that brought up the topic last year. Um, you know, like, I mean, I, I'll talk about it with you. And when we when we record podcasts together, it just feels for me like I'm talking to you. So it's easy for me to talk about it. But I wouldn't go into a, I mean, I've left mostly every Facebook forum I was in. Um, I wouldn't go into a forum now and be like, hey, everyone, he's, these are some of the factors that I considered when doing this risk assessment as to what I would, wouldn't be comfortable doing and why. Because it would just be opening myself up to, to that potential harassment from people who I don't even know, who could be in a wildly different situation from me. Um, so I, I, I probably wouldn't do that. And I, again, like, I just think that a bit of a shame that people aren't able to share information that could potentially keep their colleagues and their clients safer that you know yeah yeah uh and and just like you said if you actually if the conversation is about risk assessment rather than morality you know I, again i'll say it i'll say it one more time we're talking about when this is deemed legal and appropriate through your health authority um if you're past that point and you're talking about risk assessment, that is where the conversation needs to be in these, in these public spaces. Um, the, the conversations that we've seen, those have all been comfort based. Uh, so as things start to move forward and as piercers start to go back to offering that kind of work, um, don't forget to have those conversations about risk assessment. Uh, look into your, transmission numbers, look into your ventilation, look into your PPE, have conversations, maybe get some peer review. Uh, if there's a piercer that you know you trust to have real conversations with, maybe send them photos or videos of your studio and talk about airflow or ventilation or ask them about appropriate PPE or different client practices. Um, what, whatever, whatever it is, like there's, there's, no harm in having the conversation because like you said, maybe the end of that conversation is someone being convinced of like, oh, well, I, I'm not ready to, to, to start offering these things again based on this mm -hmm. risk assessment. But if you're not having that risk assessment, that means you're not having the risk assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to say for the benefit of anybody else who's, who's kind of been in a similar headspace to me, which has been... Um, you know, like in recent times and, and earlier in the year and everything, just very, very isolated and, and very kind of closed off, particularly when it comes to internet interaction, um, that I think that you and I have both both experienced times where the, the side of the community that you're seeing represented online doesn't necessarily match up to how you feel and the conversations that you're having, the community that you feel part of. 
Um, so if you're looking at, you know, certain pockets of the community on, uh, you know, social media sites and, and you're feeling like, I don't feel like I fit in here at all. Like this, I don't feel part of this conversation. I don't agree with a lot of these topics, but I also don't feel like I can take part in these conversations because I, I don't feel that this is an environment for having a healthy conversation right now. Just know that that is not and has never been, and I hope will ne never will be the entirety of the community and all of the community's views. That just pushes the conversation to other places. Just like you and I talk, other piercers will have talked. Maybe they'll have done it privately and not in a way that's quite as open, but I just want other people that maybe feel a bit cut off and isolated in the same way to just understand that there is more to the industry and to the community than the loudest, angriest voices that you can see, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like it, we also really need to remind any piercers listening to this that Facebook is not the same thing as the piercing industry. No. Like you're, you're gonna, you're going to encounter probably the, the majority of, um, engaged piercers, uh, piercers who like, that's their career. The majority of those piercers, I think will be on Facebook in one form or another. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that conscientious piercers who, who enjoy that, that free flow of information, it, it's not necessarily them in forums. Sometimes it's bullies. Sometimes it's people who are, maybe there's like a financial side of it. Maybe like they're, maybe they're more frustrated at the people who have been offering under mass piercings legally or illegally when they can't uh, and, and they see like the financial side of it. There are a lot of different factors at play. I don't necessarily want to dump on people who have been anti under mask piercing because in, in some areas, that's a very valid form of thought. It's really just the way that people converse that I would, I would really like to see kind of evolve a little bit. Um, people should be able to talk about information and how they use that information to, to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, if you shut down the conversation, um, you're, you're really not doing much good. Uh, and if you just, if you're, if you're, uh, if your school of thought is, again, abstinence only, um, you might not be having a positive impact on health and safety because maybe in your city, yeah, it's illegal or it's irresponsible on a risk assessment level to offer under mass piercing. But the person seeing that, that Facebook comment, that thread or something, if they're on the other side of the world, other side of the country or whatever, and they're dealing with a completely different set of numbers and factors, um, it's not really doing them much of a positive service to shut down that conversation entirely. Right. I mean, for an, as an example, you know, like I was saying, under mask piercing was made illegal uh, in Scotland for a long time. And we didn't actually know when it was going to be reversed. And it was actually down to the, I forget the, the exact name. So, you know, hope, I mean, they, they probably won't listen to this, but the, there's like a beauty and spa union in Scotland. And, and I think throughout the UK where all of the various beauty industry bodies kind of come together. And obviously that's a much greater number of people than what's in the piercing community. Um, and they were actually responsible for the change because obviously it's a, it's a huge blow to the largest source of self-employed female owned small businesses in the country to not be able to offer these services. So um, that change happened really, really quickly, probably within about a week's notice was all we got that the change would be coming in. But before then, when it was illegal, there were times that I made, you know, like, posts and shared to other Scottish piercers to say, guys, you need to know that this is illegal right now, not to make anybody feel like ashamed or like I was attacking them, but more in the sense that I don't want anyone to lose their license over this. I don't want negative attention being brought onto the piercing industry because of this. Um, several councils have made, you know, comments and, and, and statements that they would withdraw funding or potentially um, seek to have funding returned that they'd given to businesses who okay. had violated the local laws and, um, you know, the new coronavirus restrictions that were in place that could have resulted in businesses being severely financially penalized. So in addition to, you know, not offering this because it's either, you know, unethical or immoral, there's also the element of wanting to keep other businesses right or, you know, keep them in, in, in a safe place because like that's also part of 
trying to uplift each other as a community and not necessarily just attacking businesses and saying, well, they're doing something illegal. That would have been just as easy to do, but a lot less helpful. And it would come from a lot worse of a place, you know? Yeah. Um, it's complicated when the level we're at with body art, most of us aren't working for massive corporate structures. We don't have a head of HR or, you know, vice president of safe practices. We don't, we don't have um, distant strangers making a lot of our safety decisions when it comes to working within our individual studio, other than like health regulation, you know, health bodies, health organizations and councils and health departments and such. While it would have been possible for me to put studios like on blast, I think is the expression for yeah. basically piercing illegally. And I did see several doing that. Mm -hmm. um, it, I wanted to be more helpful and say like, look, this is what could happen to you. This is what could happen sure. to your business if you're not following these this law that's been put into place. Right. Um, you know, like I, I think that trying to change people's behavior from a place of like love and support is hopefully always gonna yield better results than, than trying to tear each other down. Yeah. Trying to remove judgment from these conversations is, I think, an important factor also. That is, is a good way to kind of start a conversation because if yeah. you hammer somebody over the head, then they're going to they're gonna remove themselves from the spaces that those conversations are being had. And then when you can start sharing the safety information without judgment, when you get to a point where it's not a legal issue anymore, they might have already left that conversation. And uh, as well, you know, like, here and I'd imagine in a lot of parts of the world, they don't send out leaflets when a law gets changed. You have yeah. to search for that information. Mm -hmm. I only found out as early as I did because I checked every day because I, I know what it's like. They will literally go on and make new regulations and new rules and tell nobody and they won't accept ignorance as a reason for you not knowing. So you actually mm -hmm. have to like, you know, keep it, you know, like as a saved page or whatever and refresh it and change it on a regular basis because yep. no one will tell you when it changes. So there's well, also the element of giving people the benefit of the doubt. If you see them doing something, I mean, if I saw a studio publicly sharing that they were doing something that I knew was criminal, I would automatically assume that they didn't know that because why else would they do something so silly? Yeah. Um, for my scenario, and I, again, you and you're my girlfriend and I am your boyfriend. Yeah. And so we, we have, we yeah, we have conversations all the time. And like, you know, that we both do a lot of volunteering. I'm, uh, I, I'm on an advisory board for my local health department. And let me say that again, I'm on an advisory board for the state of New Hampshire's uh, regulatory health agency. And I wasn't even aware of some of these changes in, in my state's policies. At the beginning, it started with, um, it was called um, Stay at Home 1.0. And we, we had, we had a body art specific, yeah. uh, we had a body art specific um, policy and it, it was just like, can't offer any services that are under a, a face mask. And it was like, okay, so that's stay at home 1.0. And then just kind of overnight, they were like, now we're calling it safer at home 2.0. And they didn't explicitly say under mask services are permitted. All they did was they just removed that one sentence that said they are not permitted. So that confused a lot of people in the industry. And they were like, is this legal or illegal? Because the last thing that I saw that directly referenced it, directly referenced it as being not legal. So that was a really difficult conversation. Um, and then just like weeks ago, they, uh, the New Hampshire dropped the mask mandate with like one day notice. They're like, oh yeah, starting tomorrow, people don't have to wear face masks. And it was like, what? It, you know? And then my, my city kept a mask mandate. Uh, and so we had signs up that were like, you know, city of Nashua mask mandate. You have to have a mask. And then somebody was like, nope, they, they dropped that too. I, I shouldn't have to wear a mask. And I was like, what? And so it's like a lot of this stuff, somebody might genuinely not know all these changes because they're, they're done by somebody in some distant office. Um, but it's, it's our responsibility to, to share that information when we think it would, uh, be a significant impact on someone else's, again, risk assessment in that conversation. If, if laws change, if rules and regulations change, if different practices change, like it's important to update the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, 
we've been pretty thorough at uh what do you call it um exploring those ideas oh yeah yeah, exploring ideas. No, i I don't think that we've said anything that's too disastrous um well uh i feel like we've done a good job tap dancing on a landmine um but uh you know we'll see what the internet has to say about this well why don't we why don't we segue why don't we pivot as you like to say why don't we pivot um, because we were also going to talk a little bit about something that's been affecting all of us, you know, ma- you know, over mask or under mask, which is, um, you know, healing things with the mask, yeah. um, and, and, you know, problems and things that we've noticed, um, that, that might be helpful to share. We were going to talk about that a little bit that could potentially get us into a little bit less trouble. Um, yeah. so we could, I think so. I don't think it. people are going to get furious if we talk about like, don't say that. You'll you'll jinx it. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, Why don't we just share this and then move to Antarctica together? That sounds good. We can raise penguins. Yeah, we can race them or raise them. Yes. To both. Yes. Um, as a as a gentle segue, yeah. uh, I remember a few months ago when it was when the conversation was. Um, nobody in the world should do an under mask piercing and some places could legally do it. Did their risk assessment chose to do it. They were comfortable doing it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, then I think a lot of the conversations rolled around is like, well, nobody's going to be able to heal a nostril piercing. If you have to wear a face mask. And it was just like, don't any of you do nipple piercings on people who wear bras, you know, Well, to play devil's advocate as you did earlier. It's not as humid. Usually, depending on where you live in the world, sometimes it can be very humid around the breast area. Mm-hmm. But it, I do understand the issue of humidity. However, when I saw all of those things going around of, you know, you're never going to be able to get this to heal. Honestly, the thought in my brain was tell that to the million odd um, people who wear a niqab that have a nostril piercing. You know, nostril piercings are still incredibly popular within the Muslim community. Um, and, you know, it's, it might not be very common in some parts of the world, but in other parts of the world, nostril piercing on individuals who wear a facial veil, which can often be, you know, like very snugly fitted fabric, is not at all that unusual or that rare. And I've done several in the past. Like that, that is something that I, I would never in a million years say to somebody that wore a cab, well, you shouldn't get this because it's going to be very hard to heal because historically, and for hundreds, if not thousands of years, that's been a very popular piercing in that community. And that's what I kept thinking at that time. Again, I never pointed that out because I didn't want to have my, my face ripped from my body by the internet. Mm-hmm. But that was a thought that I had in my head. Um, and again, like, uh, one of the the biggest problems that I have, um, and I think a lot of piercers in the UK specifically have, is uh, makeup wear, nostril piercings and makeup wear, complete bane of my life for as long as I've been a piercer. And yet since mask wear became mandatory, most of my clients have completely given up on wearing foundation, which I'm thrilled about because it's it's taken away that particular problem. So I think there are definitely a lot of unique challenges that come with healing with a mask or with a face covering. Um, But, you know, they can be offset with other factors as well. So uh, just another fun topic to talk about and then walk out to see. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like Godzilla at the end of every movie. It's like, Oh, done done with this. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Um. For, for me, like, okay, transitioning away from things that are going to get us ostracized. Um, my big thing right now is half of my clients, when I start talking about aftercare, um, the first time, like, okay, so I don't know how you roll aftercare into your visit, but for me, people come in, I say, hi, my name is Ryan. Uh, I'll be taking care of you today. What is it you're looking to do? okay, I want this, I want that. And I'm like, cool. Did you have any questions for me? Is there anything you want to cover? Uh, and then when we're in setting up, any questions for me while I'm, while I'm getting things ready for you? And then at the end, it's like, here's your aftercare packet. Let's go over some highlights. Um, I would say that half of my clients, the first time I give them an opportunity to ask a question, it's about swimming. And I don't know if that's a regional thing or whatever. I know that you know Glasgow probably doesn't have a lot of like hot swimming locations. Um, unless you're just like standing outside in the rain all day. But 
for me, it's a constant thing, pools, beaches, all that stuff. So, you know, I, I'm pretty much telling people, um, wait a minimum of one month, the longer, the better. And then, then we kind of start getting into the negotiation where it's like, well, what if it's a pool? No, it's still swimming, you know? Okay. Well, what if it's the ocean? Nope. That's still swimming. And people are like, well, yeah, but it's salt water. And that's what I'm cleaning my piercing with. And it's like, okay, number one, the ocean, don't think of it like a sterile saline spray. Think of it like dead fish and pee and like chemical spills and all that stuff. And, or if you're in a pool, chlorine and still pee, you know? So I I think that helps. But um, do you have any other like seasonal healing issues that are a regular thing for you? You know, one of the the things for me um, is uh, humidity. Mm-hmm. This is an incredibly humid humid uh, environment, especially in the summer. It doesn't really get hot and sunny. It just gets kind of overcast and hot and sweaty, and just you know, it still rains constantly, but it's warmer. Um, so it's just you know, perpetually damp. And I've had a few customers in the past say, "Oh, you know, I've read about letting it air dry. Should I let it air dry?" And I'm like, "No." No, yeah. you shouldn't. Because that's not possible in Glasgow. For the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, a, a huge amount of housing in, in Glasgow, especially, is tenement housing. It's over 100 years old, doesn't have air conditioning. A lot of the time, it doesn't have central heating. Um, so, you know, you, you actually have to dry your piercing yourself, specifically when it comes to body piercings and inner ear piercings, especially. Um, nipple piercings are a big one for me. And one that I always include in my aftercare is that you have to make sure that the area behind the jewelry against your nipple is dry before you put on clothing, Mm -hmm. especially tight fitted clothing, because if you don't get that little bit of moisture away, um, it is going to sit there all day. uh, And you're going to, after, you know, a few days or weeks end up with these little red patches of contact dermatitis or irritation where the moisture is just rubbing. Um, And the example that I'll usually try and give that people can relate to is, you know what it's like if you wash your dishes and you wear a wedding ring or something similar and underneath the ring gets very kind of red and rubbery feeling because it doesn't dry properly and it doesn't aerate properly. So for me, keeping your piercing clean, dry and aerated are kind of the big three things. So, you know, don't just spray it and then leave it wet. It needs to be cleaned and then dried and then kept with good air circulation um, for it to heal up in a healthy way. So that that's a big one for me. And um, in terms of mask wear, uh, I've been making use of the, the ear savers that you that you sent me. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will have seen variations of them, but the the ear savers being the things that kind of pull your ear pull pull your mask off the back of your ears towards the back of your head, they've mm-hmm. been really helpful for for any client that I've had um, who's been getting work done on their ears and the type of mask that they tend to wear, especially um, like the reusable fabric ones in particular. Uh, tend to sit exactly where the piercing would go. Um, other other considerations with mask wear, particularly as it relates to ear piercing, I've found things that I'm telling people a lot is you have to remember to change your mask as often as you change your underwear. Um, you know, <laughs> so once a month. Yeah. Um, no, because people do. They use a fabric mask and it lives in their it lives in their bag and. I, I kind of treat it the same way that I talk to people about headphones and earphones. You know, you can't take this object that just lives at the bottom of your handbag and it gets thrown on the floor and placed all over the place. You can't take that and then shove it right against your piercing. You know, that's that's really severe cross-contamination and that's going to be a big risk of infection for you. So if you're wearing reusable masks, wear a freshly laundered mask every day. Um, that for me is, is uh, something that I do tell people regularly. Yeah, uh, for me... That's a, that's a big part of um, anything above the neck at this point. It's wear a clean face mask every day. Um, here, I'm going to send you home. Like every every ear piercing other than tragus and rook, tragus, rook, uh, doth inner piercing. ear, doth piercings, dath piercings, anything like, like those, those ones. Um, I don't bother with the ear savers, but anything else, any helix piercing, industrial conch, especially, but also earlobes. I'm having people put on a disposable face mask that's stretchy enough because again, a lot of those people that come in with the reusable fabric face masks, they're, they're not stretchy enough to put an ear saver on them. So I step out of the room uh, or I have them go in the ventilated bathroom 
they change their face mask. Then when they come in and I'm setting up, you know, sometimes I have to put in a bobby pin for someone's hair, but then I put an ear saver on the back of their head and then I send them home with an extra one and I tell them why it's so important. Because uh, even with something as simple as an earlobe, if you have the the loop of a, of a face mask, an ear loop tucked around the back of the piercing and it's touching there, eventually that's going to be a problem. Um, you know, like I had the same thing, like during... During the pandemic, I, I had my earlobes pierced, you know, and, and just wearing a face mask, touching like my the back of my ear, not even right up against the back of the, that piercing made them irritated. So I got to kind of learn that firsthand, you know, healing something for the first time in a long time during a pandemic really helped me kind of solidify the aftercare instructions that I'm giving my clients now. Yeah. Um, one last thing I, I want to say about the moisture thing is I think that aftercare information and troubleshooting evolves year to year. And I love that. I, I, that's one of my favorite things really about piercing is like seeing the, the natural progression of like, we, you know, we learn a little bit more, we figure a little bit more out each year and moisture has really been at the forefront of a lot of my troubleshooting uh, conversations lately, especially when it comes to something like an earlobe or like a nipple piercing. Um, I've been noticing that sometimes people equate, Okay. Any problem means that I'm not cleaning it enough. So a lot of times with my troubleshooting conversations, it's like, all right, walk me through your cleaning. How frequently are you cleaning? Be honest. I won't be judgmental. What products might you be using? What time of day do you do this and that? And I really noticed an enormous uh, connection to people that had that back of the earlobe specific irritation, those dry, flaky, persistent, problematic back of an earlobe, even when the front might look perfectly healthy. Um, those people were almost always telling me that like, oh yeah, I've still been cleaning my piercing three times a day, but since they're not having crusty buildup and they're just having irritated skin, a lot of them are just like spritz, spritz. They're spraying some saline on both sides. A lot of them are doing it like extra times a day, making, trying to make themselves feel better. Like, oh, I'm, I'm actively cleaning it. But what they're doing is they're adding moisture when they don't necessarily need moisture. A lot of people are cleaning right before bed, meaning they're going to bed with soaking wet ears sprayed in saline front and back. You sleep on the side uh, of your head and you're gonna be pressing that wet earlobe up against your head all night and you're never really giving it a chance to, to dry. And you know what's gonna feed on that moisture? Bacteria or potentially even, I don't know, fungus, you never know. Um, so a lot of those people with chronic problems, it's like, maybe you should cut down on how frequently you're cleaning, or maybe you should make sure that these piercings are thoroughly dry, at least before bed. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I, I do another phrase that I'll use quite a lot with clients is saline is not a topical disinfectant. It is for mm -hmm. wound irrigation. It yeah. doesn't work better the longer that it's on the skin. I think a lot of people think, Oh, it's so good for me. I'll leave it on and it'll have more exposure. It's not an exposure based product. Mm -hmm. um, it's for irrigation. Irrigation is just a fancy word for rinsing. Um, it is for rinsing the piercing to clear off the debris that's accumulated around the edges. And then you have to carefully dry around that area if you don't happen to live in Arizona where you, it would probably dry by itself. But uh, unfortunately I live in anti-Arizona if there was such a thing um, in Glasgow where it stands. Uh, a thing that I've been having a lot of success with also, because I think sometimes if you just, if you give people a really long piercer nerd explanation sometimes their eyes just glaze over and they're like uh-huh so do you have something i can buy to fix this you know sometimes they'll just do that but what i really like to do is give them logic but like very simplified common common language uh uh logic and what i'll try to say is hey you know when you get a cut or a scratch you get a scab and that's basically like what's left over from your body trying to heal the area. And you wanted to basically think of the same kind of idea with a piercing. That scabbiness, that crustiness, that buildup that you get on a piercing is just what's left over from your body trying to heal that wound. All you're doing with your aftercare is you're just trying to rinse that stuff away gently and not disrupt the healing process. Like saline is not a magical product. All it's doing is basically like shooing away the stuff that your body has discharged after you clean it. It's not forcing it to heal. You're just kind of rinsing away the byproduct of healing. And that's, that's helped me a lot with, with clients. You know, sometimes they'll just, it'll click for them and they'll be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, just like leave it alone a little bit more and just let the thing heal. Yeah. 
Um, so you think, you think that'll help? You think that'll make people less upset if we talked about beneficial aftercare things? I don't know if there's anything that you or I could do as mere mortals to make yeah. people not, not be upset. I, right. I think that we worry a lot. And I'm glad that we worry a lot because it makes us, you know, like vigilant about the information that we share and that we put out. So like, I don't think it's a bad thing that we worry a lot, but we, we probably... I think it's a I think it's a bad thing that we worry to the level that we do worry at, but I I I get your sentiment. It's important that we care and converse. Isn't it nice that we're at least in it together? You know, like if one of us goes down, we're taking the other one. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Thank you. Uh yes, I am I am glad that we're both riddled with anxiety together. You're gonna publish this episode and just edit out your bits and say, I have no control over the things that Will Slider has said that I don't agree. I don't agree with her. And I'll just randomly come in in the middle of it and I'll just be like, Yeah, that's really nice, Lola. But first I want to talk about insurance from Geico. I'll do the Chris Jericho thing and just make it seem like Uh this is just your podcast and I'm just here to do commercials. Speaking of commercials. Don't you just wish that there was a way that you could learn um, how to maximize your taper usage in the studio? Oh because my I God. Uh, it's, well, it's funny you mentioned that, Lola. It's funny that you mentioned that even when I asked you earlier to try to weave that in seamlessly, which you totally did. did you? I, cause I forgot that you even, I was just wondering. It's just one of the oh. things I wonder. Well, you know, coincidentally, um, I, I, okay. So what, as we record this, I haven't, done it yet but by the time this publishes i will have unless i was like struck by lightning randomly um i will have uh given a presentation all about tapers and their different functionality and their etc etc well uh, don't hold the taper and go outside during the lightning storm okay well to see there you go risk assessment Mm. um uh so yeah i've got i got a tapers class and um somewhere around like mid-june or potentially a little bit later in june but June, uh, I'll have that edited and posted for, for on-demand viewing at patreon.com slash Ryan PBA. Seriously though, and Ryan hasn't prompted me to say this, um, I think it was a really good idea because, see when I started piercing, a taper was literally only available as like a, a con, it's concave when it goes in the way, isn't it? Yeah, concave or convex is when it's outward. Yeah, so they were only available as a concave thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I first started piercing, it was almost exclusively cannula piercing in the UK. So tapers were rarely used for anything other than stretching lobes or reinserting a piercing that had fallen out. So they weren't really used during piercing procedures very much at all. Um, So over the the years that I've been piercing, um, you know, they've become much more, and again, they're, they're probably always available this way in other parts of the world, but in my, in my area specifically, now there's uh, con, concave tapers as, as usual, but there's also threadless pin tapers and there's short tapers and long tapers. Um, and there are tapers that you can you know bend for accessibility and there are threaded tapers. And, um, you know, and then obviously there's, uh, blanks and transfer pins which sometimes take the job of tapers but not entirely depending on what it is you need it for and I think that it's one of those things that people have had to learn and adapt to very quickly that can still trip people up um, when they're maybe not thinking things through fully I know there have been situations where I've gone to do something and maybe I've not taken the the perfect kind of taper for what I needed or I've not fully considered how the taper would interact with everything else um, you know, especially if you're using bent needles or crush needles um, or, you know, like, and, and that kind of thing. So like, I, I, I think that it's one of those things where some people think, oh, tapers, I know about tapers. It's just like a, you know, a, a thing for stretching holes, you know, like they'll think that they know, um, but it can actually still be one of those things that does trip people up a little bit more than they realize when they actually consider the full array of, of um, uses and, and sizes and variety that there is. So I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a, like one of those ones where people probably think that they know um, and then they will actually probably watch the class and be like, oh yeah, there's actually a whole lot about tapers I hadn't really considered. Right. That Well, that was kind of where I was coming from because when I started, tapers were really just like a, a metal thing that had maybe a little bit of a graduation and a concave and you just, you would shove it through an earlobe and you would try to follow it with a plug and cross your fingers that you didn't lose connection. 
Like that was, that was a taper for me for probably the first 10 years of my career. Then all kinds of stuff started changing my mentality on it. Switching from uh, crap jewelry to like nicer jewelry started to unlock a lot of different tools and accessibility and functionality and all that stuff. So now, just like you said, pin tapers, different kinds of coupling tapers for threaded jewelry. You can even get like couplings for, for plugs now that can slide into a, a hollow eyelet, all, all different kinds of stuff. So I've got a, like a massive collection of tapers, like hundreds. Yeah. But like, <laughs> uh, see, that's what happens when you're not a disposable piercer. You just have like a horde of equipment basically. Um, but it's, it's generations of, of tools that I used for a few years and then like uh, graduated uh, pun intended to like, you know, uh, just a different generation of tapers, a different quality of tapers, different vendors and all that stuff. And some piercers might be in that space where like, they think that a taper is just this one dumb thing that you use for, for stretching. And there, there really isn't much more functionality than that. So this is really a class for, for those people that want to kind of see the, the wider variety of what's available for tapers and, and how you would use those different tapers. Yeah. But uh, thank you for, for, um, you know, completely, just mentioning that out of nowhere and definitely not doing it because I asked you to. You are so welcome. You're such a supportive girlfriend. Yeah. I'm like a bra. Yes, you are like a bra. You're you are like a bra. Like but like a well-worn in kind of aged bra that doesn't hurt your ribs. Right. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to talk about? Hmm. Don't take out. You want takeout? What do you want for food? Burger. You always want a burger. All right, just okay for the people listening. We, we this is this is we're gonna wrap it up here. By the way, but this is how we want to talk about it now. We both eat Five Guys burgers, and I remember that the first time I I ever suggested um, you getting a Five Guys burger because it's you know it's everywhere now. Like they're global, even though it's like a a very American cheeseburger brand. Um, and you were like, nah, I don't really want a five guys burger. That's like a garbage burger. And I was like, oh no, no, you, you have to try it. And for me, uh, a cheeseburger in my mind will almost always be a bun, burger, cheese, ketchup and mustard, maybe pickles. You know, that's a, that's a cheeseburger in my mind. And like, you know, I can wiggle from that a little bit here and there, like artisanal cheeseburgers, but go ahead and tell the people listening what you order on a Five Guys cheeseburger, because it still kind of blows my mind. We talked about not shaming. <laughs> I get, I can't remember off the top of my head everything because I have it saved in my basket. Because there's 17 different toppings that you get. I like, I need a lot of lubricant on the burger, otherwise it's too dry. <laughs> okay, well, I just have... like, just, just start okay. listing them off. And if you forget some that I remember, I'll mention it. Well, there's the, obviously the cheeseburger element, the bun, the cheese, and the burger. Uh-huh. And then another burger, I think. I think it's a double cheeseburger. Yeah. Then there's the onions. Mm-hmm. And pickles, jalapenos. Is it chipotle sauce or habanero sauce? Um, I think they just listed as hot sauce. Hot sauce, ketchup, relish. Um, I, I think that's everything. I think, I, I think that it's... Um, I, I, I think that there's jalapenos, onions, hot sauce, relish, ketchup, and pickles. Pickles. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah, that sounds messy. And yet somehow you survive. And you'd probably still make out with me after I'd eaten one if you were geographically True. able to. So I don't even True. know why you're, why you're trying to, to shave me like that. But if I got a cheeseburger with like Swiss cheese and mushrooms on it, you wouldn't want to kiss me. Not the mushrooms, no. But I, I like switched. I, I like the the cheese. If you got like blue cheese on a burger, something. A like bridge that. too far. Okay. But no mushroom. Well, now people know too much about our personal lives. Yes, this this truly is oversharing. Uh, okay, well, let's wrap this shit up. Where can people find you for your your brilliant mind and to give you money to perform piercing services? Under a bridge, at forest piercing. Um, in Glasgow at 105 Cambridge Street, G3, 6RU. Okay, you don't have to get necessarily that specific, but okay. okay thank you. Um, at Lola.slider or at Forest Piercing for my, my work stuff, I can, okay. be, I can be found. Okay. 
as a reminder, I've got that new tapers class available at patreon.com slash Ryan PBA. The on-demand version will be posted somewhere around mid-June 2021. So go ahead and check that out. Um, I have a plan for um, a free uh, online education class in July and a paid online education class for July also. Uh, I'll have details of that to, to come very shortly. Uh, follow the Body Art Education by Ryan Willett Facebook page for specifics and announcements and et cetera, et cetera. Um, one will require registration, one will not. Uh, and that's about it. Um, be nice to each other and um, have professional conversations, regardless of what decision you make at the end of it, the uh, sharing of information is very important and we would like to support that. I thought of a catchphrase for your taper class. Okay. Taper, I hardly know her. <sighs> I think people are gonna, people are gonna show up to it or sign up for Patreon and they're gonna be pissed off when um, it's not a tapir class. It's you know, not the cute little things with the snoots. Oh. No, it's very much tapers, T-A-P-E-R. Okay. Okay. All right, let's fucking stop talking about this in like, I don't know, watch a movie or something. Okay. Okay, I'm going to stop recording. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. Um, uh, fuck, I forgot the fucking, I forgot the point that I was trying to make. What did you just say? And then I, I'll try to pull back onto my thought. Um, 